couple things about this topic. Number one, I'm probably not the right guy to teach it. Um, the more I studied it, the more I saw my inadequacies um, and was convicted of that, wow, I need to be here, out there. So I'm pi literally picturing myself sitting beside my wife right now trying to receive this because I, the more I studied it, the more convicted I became about it. Um, and 9.30 to 10.15 or whatever is a fraction of this topic that really needs covered. Um, we can, Creighton, you're recording, right? Um, we can, you know, take 12 Sundays throughout the, a year and do, like, that's what it would really take to adequately cover this topic. Um, not that you guys would do that, but, like, that's what it would take. So, so this is really kind of a scratching the surface um, and hitting some high notes. Um, and the way, the way I'm going to approach this is we're going to look at some generals, some, some general things about forgiveness that if we've been in church, we've heard a hundred times, but we need refreshed. We all need refreshed on this daily. Um, and then we're going to progress toward um, maybe covering some misconceptions that we have about forgiveness. What forgiveness is not um, and what forgiveness is um, as specifically on how do we implement it, some some pointers on how to implement this, not just on Sundays, but on Friday morning, or Monday morning, or Thursday morning, or whatever, okay? So, um, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, um, you have undoubtedly learned to speak Christianese. You've learned to speak the language. Um, and one example of this would be um, you walk in church on a Sunday morning and we become masters once we walk through those doors of, of covering up who, like, covering ourselves up. Um, and we walk through, someone says, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And we forget, um, or, or we don't forget, we, we cover up the argument we had with our spouse the night before, or the chaos with the kids in the car on the way to church, that sort of thing. We, oh, I'm doing great. Blessed. We, we speak that Christianese lingo. And... Um, when we do this, the, the thrust of certain words that are really important for our faith lose their meaning. Um, for example, um, we, get really, we get really good at 
saying like kind of like the Sunday school or vacation Bible school type answer of Jesus died for my sins and and we lose that what's that entail the the horrors of the cross the end of Matthew you know Matthew 26 27 where where Jesus is dying a brutal death and we just kind of brush past it in the same way the word forgiveness is seems to be a word that we become inoculated to I, I think um, and for example the the thought I had here was our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name and then we progress to forgive us our debts I mean trespasses as we forgive those who you know and we we get caught up on just reciting the words or the trespasses versus debts and like the forgiveness part what's that mean and so I think as part of the Christian lingo we can we can lose definitions that are really important so um, what's this word mean what does forgiveness mean um, in the New Testament there's there's primarily two words that are translated into uh, as forgiveness um, the first is um, and I'm it's been 11 years since I've taken Greek so my pronunciations or might be a little off but afie um, me um, means to forgive to pardon okay there's a word that we we can okay start to begin to understand this pardoning concept um, and uh, let's see here where am I at remit or cancel and we'll see cancel here in a minute. The other word is uh, uh, charizomai, which is not uh, the root word itself, but um, the, the root word is like charis or something, which means grace. Um, and the, the, which I believe is where we get the word charismatic, okay? Um, and so, so the root word of charizomai means grace. And one of the definitions of charizomai is to give grace. So that's a really good idea when we start thinking about the definition of forgiveness. To give grace. Okay? So we'll, we'll come back to this, I think. Um, as we go through here but what I want to do is I want to start us off with some scripture to refresh us all just general and and there's a ton of places we could go we're not going to cover everything but some just general places to go and the first one is Colossians 2 um, Colossians 2 9 through oh I have 15 there thought it was 14 but um, really good definition right here in this verse 
So, actually, I'm just going to turn around and read it. For in him, meaning Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the, working, or in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were uh, dead in the, your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive and you, who were dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Next slide. Really? Oh. Okay, well, I didn't realize that. Didn't. It's the same slide exactly? Really? Okay, I hope. Because the important part was on the next slide. So let me turn there, I guess. I was trying to avoid that. Okay. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by, uh, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I actually didn't get there, but one of the definitions of the charizomai uh, was the cancelization, cancellation. I kept saying that as I was prepping this, cancelization. I don't know why I'm inventing new words now. Um, but the cancellation of debt. Okay? That's... that's Cancellation of debt is one of the definitions of charizomai. And so here we have in Colossians 2, I have no idea where that came from, why that did that. But um, so he canceled the record of our debt, and there were legal demands with our debt. The debt of sin we owed to God, there were legal demands with it. And we, he canceled that debt. Okay? Now, the forgiveness of sin. So he, he went to the cross. He resurrected. We were dead. We were dead in our sins. And he made us alive by the forgiveness of our sins. So we can see that the forgiveness of our sins, picture Picture being dead in, in your sins and then being made alive in Christ. Picture it like a trap meet. And you're, you're not running and then you're running. Okay? The, you're, you're now alive in Christ. You're now go. The forgiveness of sins is the gun. Okay? It seems like that's, like that's the, the, the spark, the start that got the the ball rolling, the forgiveness of sins, okay? So now, let's go to Luke 5. 
Luke 5. Very famous passage. You guys have heard this a million times since you were kids, if you grew up in church. Luke 5, starting in 17. Okay? We're not going to read the whole passage, even though the whole passage, hopefully, is on the screen. But this is the passage where there is a, a paralyzed man on a mat, and great crowds were following Jesus, and they, he had friends that were carrying his mat, and they wanted to get their friend to Jesus, because here's this, all this scuttlebutt going around of this, there's this guy that can heal. Let's get our friend to Jesus. And so they, they get to the front door. They can't get in the door. So they go up to the roof. They tear a hole through the roof. They lower him down. And in verse 20, verse 20 of this passage is the first interaction between Jesus and this man. And here's what Jesus said. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. Put yourself in, on this guy's mat. Okay? Put yourself on this guy's mat. You, have, you're, you are completely without the use of your legs. Maybe your entire life. Maybe you were born that way. Maybe it was some work accident. I don't know. But you were born that way. Or uh, you, you don't have the use of your legs, I mean. And for all the people that have ever lived and died that didn't have the use of their legs, this guy had a unique opportunity. In the area of the world he lived, in the time in which he lived, it, lived in it, there, there was a man who could actually do something about it. The unique opportunity of this guy compared to other people in his situation. He had the opportunity to possibly walk again. Jesus walked up to him in the house and your sins are forgiven. What's going through your mind if you're this guy? What's going through your mind is thanks Thanks for that. Could have actually done something good for me. Like, I don't know if you see, but my greatest need might not be forgiveness of sins. My greatest need is this right here. So thanks for your help. That's probably what you're thinking. But yet Jesus goes past what he thinks is the greatest need. And he goes to the root of the issue. And so this passage teaches us that our greatest need that we have is to be forgiven. And we don't feel that all the time. We don't realize that, but that's the greatest need we have. Forgiveness of sins. Okay? Now let's go on. Turn one chapter to the right, to Luke 6. Luke 6. 
I think, yeah, I'm just going to read verse 37. Um, even though I'm going to point some things out from the context for the whole chapter, really. Um, or a bigger piece of this, I should say. So, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, this passage, I believe, causes great confusion. Because um, what it appears like, Jesus is saying, on the surface of things, is our forgiveness of others is what prompts God to forgive us. And that can't be what he's saying. It's not, it can't be that we earn our forgiveness from God by forgiving others. That contradicts the gospel. That absolutely contradicts the gospel. And I, this week I was studying one of the most well-respected scholars that I've always, like, used as reference, and he said some really weird stuff on this passage, and I'm like, wait a second, like, am I wrong here? Am I wrong with what's being said? And so I'm texting Dylan, like, am I reading, I took a picture of the, of the, the guy's, the page of the guy's book, underlying the questionable part, I was like, ah, am I wrong here? I got so Dylan and I are going back and forth, and thankfully, I'm reading last night. This is great, by the way. Tim Keller, his newest book, Forgiven. I think it's his newest book, Forgive. It's awesome. I'm reading along, and I go, oh, Tim Keller agrees. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, so it cannot be that we, we earn our forgiveness by forgiving others. That can't be. That's, that's anti-gospel. That's works-based salvation. So what is Jesus saying? Well, if you look at the context of, of uh, Luke, not just Luke 6, but what's really kind of starting in Luke 5 and what's going to progress through most of the Luke teens, like up through the teen chapters there, um, is some serious conflict between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. And he's, a, he's making many addresses to their hardness of heart. So you have this, this group that's totally hard of heart, and he ha he's speaking to the disciples saying, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Okay? Then, uh, in the if you... Read, keep reading from verse 37 and then get to verse 43 it gets to um, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit so in other words I believe what Jesus is saying is a what's down in the well comes up in the bucket type statement as Kim often says this isn't the forgiveness that we give is an overflow of the forgiveness we've received. And if when forgiven you will be forgiven, he, he's making a statement that if we cannot seem to forgive, maybe we haven't been forgiven. 
because it's an overflow. This is a pouring out of what we've received, okay? Um, he says it even more clearly in the next chapter. Go to Luke 7. The end of the chapter, it's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And I have, like I said, hopefully, um, the entire passage on the screen, Luke 7, 36 through 50, um, is the, the sinful woman from Luke 7. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And that's the, Jesus is eating at the table, eating supper with, an, with a Pharisee who invited him, with a chief Pharisee who invited him to his house, and during supper, in walked this unwanted woman who apparently had met Jesus at some point in the past, a few days or something, and she, she is weeping, and she washes Jesus' feet with her tears, dries them with her hair. Famous story. Then at the end of that, they're all, they're all like looking down on her, making fun of her, talking, why is she here? She doesn't belong here, all that kind of stuff. And Jesus says, in reference to this, one of the definitions, this cancellation of debt, he says, beginning in verse 41, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay it, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon, the Pharisee who owned the, like it was his house, answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, so he's still talking to the Pharisee, but he's looking right at her. Love this story. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, she gave, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Okay, but he's going, he, he's going to continue. This is not a, she earned her salvation with her forgiveness, or with her love. Like that's, he, he's qualifying what he's saying here. Um, for she, um, where did I leave off? 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Why? For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. So, um, so in other words, those who have been forgiven little love little. Those who have been forgiven much love much. What you've received pours out. Okay? So... Um, that being said, let's go to our last parable, but we're actually going to spend more time here um, of 
Matthew chapter 18. We're going to begin in verse 21. Matthew 18. This parable is loaded. Loaded. This is so good. There's so much here. It's unbelievable. Um, but that is, um, we're, we're, we're going to point out some high notes here. So Matthew 18, beginning in 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Or some, like there's that debate, seventy-seven or seven times, seventy times seven. So, so seventy-seven or four-ninety, what is it? It doesn't matter. Peter was going for the seven. He was looking for the upper limit of what he had to do there. And Jesus gave him, whether it's 77 or 490, he gave him such an outlandish, far impossible limit as to say there's no limit. That's, that's what he's saying here. Now, before we even move on to the parable, I want you to see the context that this statement that we just read and the parable are, are set in. Look in the, in, if you open your Bibles, I don't have it on the screen, but look in the previous paragraph. This is 15 through 20. This is the church discipline passage. Your brother sins, go show him his sin. If he doesn't listen, take two or three witnesses. If he doesn't listen to them, bring it to the church. If he doesn't listen to them, treat him like an unbeliever. Within the context of church discipline, the entire point seems to be forgiveness. Because Jesus makes the statement about church discipline and then says, then Peter came up to him. So the, the church discipline statement seemed to prompt Peter to come up and say, well, how many times then? And Jesus said, many as it takes there's no limit it, it, that's very interesting to me that this whole forgiveness passage is set in the church discipline context so no matter what it takes forgive that's the point that's the goal okay so then we go on into verse 23. He gets into the, the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold uh, with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. 
But when, the, but when that same servant came out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When the fellow servants saw what, he, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave that debt because you pleaded with me. You shall, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay, so some sort of master, king maybe, I don't know, loaned a large sum of money. Now, in the very same way that the 70 times 7 statement was some outlandish, ridiculous, huge number to, to say there's no limit, this first debt that was forgiven matches up with that theme. 10,000 talents, okay, so a ta one talent was the equivalent of 20 years wages. 20 years, one talent. It was a, it was a unit of weight uh, that was about 75 pounds. Okay, so um, let's say in modern day financials that the average income is thirty to forty thousand dollars okay and I use that because my study notes of my ESV study Bible use 30 Tim Keller used 40 so let's just keep it in the ballpark thirty to forty thousand dollar monthly in or a yearly income then one talent would be the equivalent of six to eight hundred thousand dollars six to eight hundred thousand dollars making the math of a ten thousand dollar debt six to eight billion dollars jesus is making a point the debt that this guy owed the master was massive and unpayable okay totally unpayable then the guy goes out, finds somebody who owes him 100 talents. This would, uh, uh, or 100 denarii, sorry. A denarii was the equivalent of one day's wage. You work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., they would hand you a denarii. So 100 uh, denarii, three-ish months wages. Okay? Huge difference here. He couldn't forgive him, da-da-da, we know the story, okay? So from this parable, we can see um, some really important, really important things, maybe clear up some misconceptions uh, uh, that we have on forgiveness, clear the air of what the Bible speaks versus what 
dare I say, church culture believes. Okay? So the first thing I have, it's on the screen. Um, forgiveness is something that, that forgiven sinners have zero right to withhold. Forgiveness is something that forgiven sinners have zero, zero right to withhold from another sinner. When we read the parable, the only one in the parable that had a legitimate right to not forgive was the one who had no debt. That's the only one in the parable that had a legitimate right to not forgive. And he forgave. And the whole context behind him being thrown back into prison at the end and, and the master being angry with him was the fact that he, he was totally unable to give what he had received. Like the, the incongruency of that. The master was like, doesn't even doesn't match up with what I've done for you. It's, it's not compatible. Okay, so forgiveness is something that forgiven sinners have no right to withhold. A perfect God has right to not forgive his creatures that rebel against him. He has perfect right to not do so. But a creature, a sinful creature in and of himself, has no right to not forgive another sin, sinful creature. Because we're both in debt. Second thing, I've got four here. The, I, I think I see a progression here. hope you guys do too. Forgiveness is not supposed to be easy. Okay? It's not supposed to be. Um, so when we become Christians and we get our new nature, one of the, one of the things that we begin to display is a love for justice. Like, we, we hate injustice if we love God. We don't like it. And, and that, can, that can be fill in the blank of different, different ways this plays out. But we want to see justice carried out. We want to fight for justice. We want to make sure people don't experience injustice. We want to right the wrongs of injustice. And so... Um, well, I've, I have one example of this. Um, great picture of God's heart. Go to the Micah passage. This is very famous, Micah 6.8. God's heart and our heart um, as his people. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with, our, with your God. That's in the context of of. He doesn't want all the sacrifices. Okay? So this is the heart of God, and it's our heart if we love God. So it feels like when we're forgiving people that we're letting injustice win the day. 
That's what it feels like. They wronged me. Like that's, it's wrong. It was wrong of them to treat me that way. And if I'm, I'm just supposed to write it off, like that's like, like, and just let them get away with it, that's, that's wrong. Like that's what it feels like. But when we are, when we do this, when we, when we think this way, we are forgetting one thing. We're forgetting Romans 12. Go to Romans 12. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Tim Keller says that in our minds, justice and compassion are incompatible in a way. But they actually work together because Because when, when we don't forgive, we get, I think his wording was, uh, we get dangerously close to the territory of revenge. Because we want, well, I'm going to withhold that because it's my right. Whereas forgiveness is a way to go, it's not my call. It's not my call. If God wants to not forgive them, that's up to him. He's in charge. He doesn't have debt. But it's not my call. And I trust him. And I'm going to back out. I'm going to back off here. That's what forgiveness is. Okay? The next thing. Go to the next slide. Forgiveness. Sorry about the size of that. Seems a little small, but forgiveness is not passive. This is a huge misconception, I believe. One of the most prominent misconceptions about forgiveness I've seen among Christians is, this is over the years, is that forgiveness is, it's almost like forgiveness is believed to be synonymous with time heals all wounds. No, it may not. That's the reality. Time may not heal all wounds. As if when enough time passes, the ability to forgive will just come. Very passive approach to forgiveness. Or, I've heard this multiple times over the years, I know I should forgive, but I'm just not ready. But as I read these passages, or others on this topic that may not even be included in this, I see nothing to indicate, zero, nothing to indicate that emotional readiness has anything to do with forgiveness. Nothing. Okay? Um, You know what I see when we read these passages? I see action verbs. I see cancel. I see, look in verse 32 of Matthew uh, Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Verse 32, 
This is after he's unable to forgive the 100 denarii, and he gets taken back to the master, and the master is yelling at him. Okay? Verse 32. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. Why? Because you pleaded with me. I see purposeful, conscious, thought-out decision. That's what I see here. That's a purposeful decision. I will decide to cancel your debt and not hold your sin against you. It has nothing to do with the master's emotional state. Forgiveness is a decision. It's an action, an active decision. Despite how you feel. I see in the 70 times 7 or 77 passage, I see a conscious choice to forgive despite how many times it takes. If we look elsewhere, 2 Samuel chapter 2, this is, um, this is when David, the, uh, sorry, chapter 12, uh, chapter 11 is David and Bathsheba, the, the first part of this chapter is the rebuke from Nathan, and um, verse 12 says something like, I acknowledge my sin before the Lord, meaning David, and David's, uh, oh yeah, there it is, well I guess that's 13. I have sinned against the Lord, and Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin, and you shall not die. Putting something away is not passive, that's an action, Okay. Or Psalm 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Or Maybe more famously, this uh, translation, um, he casts it. When I think of this verse, I this might be stupid. It probably is. I, but I think visuals help. I picture the hammer throw. That's what I picture God doing with my sin. Casting it. Throwing it. Okay? That's an action. It's not passive. And the last thing I have for us here is that forgiveness, go to the next slide. There's not one? Oh, sorry. I thought I typed it. Okay, all sorts of problems. Forgive me, please. Okay. Man, I set this up great. You have to. No. Um, so, um, forgiveness is costly to the forgiver. This is the big gun. Forgiveness is costly to the forgiver. Several years ago, I, I remember, I don't have the history behind how this got started or, or whatever, how long ago. I just haven't heard it in a while, probably because people got the message. But I remember hearing something that I think 
started in the secular world and, and just kind of moved into Christian culture. And um, it, it was something like there was a big push about how holding on to grudges is detrimental to your health. Like holding on to grudges, it increases blood pressure and increases your chance of you know, your mortality rate of a cardiac incident and blah, blah, blah. Therefore, you should forgive. Okay? I, rem I remember hearing this all the time, and I, I haven't heard it in a while, thankfully, but this is not the picture we see. The picture we see comes from Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant. So picture it this way. This master loaned this guy a large sum of money. Now, when you loan someone money, the anticipation is that you will get it back, right? They will pay you back over time. There's typically interest involved and all that, you know, with banks. And, but they will, you will get it back. You'll, you only loan people money. A bank only loans someone money if there is like a return on their investment, right? But when, when this guy, this master, forgave the guy of the $10,000 or $8 billion debt, six to $8 billion didn't just magically show up in his bank account. He ate it. He ate that cost. When he said it's canceled, he now incurred that. This was a great cost to him. This is exactly what Jesus did when he forgave our sin. Our sin was not swept under the rug, it was not pretended that it didn't exist or treated like it wasn't a big deal. Jesus took it upon himself. He became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He absorbed our debt himself. Keller says it like this. I love this. Next slide there. Might, I think it's the last slide, maybe. When you are wronged, the perpetrator owes you a debt. It may be literal. What if a guest at a house, at a party in your home, carelessly breaks an expensive lamp? He apologizes profusely. But you say, don't bother about it. In other words, you forgive him. However, now you must either, you have two options. Either you pay to replace the lamp yourself, or you go without light in that part of the room. In any case, your forgiveness means now you bear the cost of what the man has done rather than bearing it, rather than him bearing it. There is always a cost of wrongdo to wrongdoing, and it must fall on someone. 
Either the wrongdoer bears it or someone else must. This is true even if the wrong is not something that can be measured financially. The cost may be in reputation or relationship or health or something else. To forgive is to deny oneself revenge. There's the concept we've already talked about. To absorb the cost, to not exact payment by inflicting on them the things they did to you in order to even the score. Therefore, forgiveness is always expensive to the forgiver. But the benefits, at the very least within your own heart, that's not talking about blood pressure, that's a spiritual condition, and at best, in the restoration of relationship and a witness to the power of the gospel, outweigh the cost. But it's always expensive. This is, this was so good. My soul needed this. Um, this is a reflection of Christ. As we forgive others and we absorb their wrongdoing of us, then we are reflecting Christ to them as he absorbed our sin. Um, so I'll close with this. How do we do this? And I know we need to wrap up. Last verse Ephesians 4 32 be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you if you're struggling with how do I do this I don't feel like making this decision to forgive somebody I don't want to forgive them we preach the gospel to ourselves we remind ourselves of our 10,000 talent debt that God forgave us of so that we can forgive someone else's 100 denarii debt of, to us. We remind ourselves of that. And we make the decision. I will not hold their sin against them. So let's pray. We'll be done. And uh, so take this and let's live the gospel. So God, thank you. Thank you for a phenomenally beautiful picture of the gospel and a very difficult and costly thing that is worth it to live. Help us to not think of it in a passive way, but help us to think of forgiveness as, as this action we take, this decision we make, um, that we will not hold somebody's sin against them. Thank you that you, don't, you do not hold ours against us, um, if, we, if we are covered by, by Christ because you absorbed it, it's in Jesus' name, amen.